We're going to be in Matthew 10. If you've been with us for uh, any period of time, we are walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we made it all the way to chapter 10, and we're three and a half years in. Um, for some of you, you, you feel that way. But um, it, it is a slow process, but we just are walking straight through uh, this great gospel account. And um, we're going to be picking up today on, uh, at verse 16. If you go back uh, to the first part of the chapter, we know this is where Jesus has uh, called to himself his 12 disciples. Uh, he lists them, and then he is going to commission them, and he sends them out. And he gives them very specific instructions on where they are to go. Uh, that they are to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, this will be the, the first missionary journey uh, that we will see in Scripture as these 12 men are sent out. We know from the other gospel accounts, they, they're sent out in uh, twos, uh, two by twos they go out, and they are told to fully trust in the Lord, that they are not to take anything with them. Uh, they are not to take any, uh, anything from anyone, but God, through those that he has set apart will care for them, that they will make sure that their needs are met, uh, that God will be the one who will care for them. So as he is sending them out, and he has kind of given them the, uh, the things that they're going to be doing, he comes to this next part we see down here in verse 16. And he is going to remind them, uh, as he reminds us, if you are faithful in not only walking with the Lord, but if you are faithful in serving, faithful in sharing the gospel, that there will be opposition. It is not a question of if, it's just a question of when. So starting in verse 16, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that God, your word is sufficient for today, tomorrow, and forevermore. And Father, we pray that this morning that you will give us ears to hear 
as your spirit will guide and direct us and draw us near to you uh, through the proclamation of the word of God. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we see in this passage is Jesus telling the disciples that I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And if you've ever seen a pack of wolves as they are seeking to destroy, uh, it is quite the sight. Uh, a few years ago when we were in Yellowstone and we were down in the Lamar Valley, which is the place to go if you want to see uh, creation. And there was a bazillion bison and you could see off in the distance a pack of wolves. And this pack of wolves were tracking this one bison who had been separated from the herd. And it's a great spiritual significance to that because we need each other. And as we face persecution, there is strength in numbers. But as they meticulously and methodically sought out this bison, we sat there for a long time until my daughter told me we had to move because she didn't want to see what was about to occur. But that's what wolves do. Wolves seek to destroy. Uh, I don't know anyone personally. Maybe Bill Carter does, but I don't know anyone who has a wolf as a pet. There, you know, <laughs> Bill has Sasquatch in his backyard, so I'm not sure what that says, but nevertheless. But wolves are, a, are, are, are a, an animal that wants to destroy. Here, Jesus is reminding his disciples that they are going out into the midst of wolves, and that as sheep, they will not have uh, the means in which to protect themselves, but they have the Lord. Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice it does not say some, partial, a handful. It says all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, and he's speaking to you and I, the way he is speaking to Timothy almost 2,000 years ago, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. We will face persecution. So the first point we see this morning is it's not a question of if, but when. If you and I are to be faithful, uh, if you and I are to be sharing the gospel, there will be those who will come against you and I. Philip Keller wrote a great little book called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. Many of you may have read this book. Uh, Philip Keller was a shepherd uh, in the foothills in Israel for many years and raised lots of sheep. And so he, he talks very uh, poignantly on what it is like to raise sheep and, and scripturally what it is when Jesus even calls us as sheep. And he talks about the, the great lengths that he would try to go to uh, to protect these sheep because they were so incredibly vulnerable. And he mentions in his book, and I won't read these because it's very descriptive, about the, the wolf attacks uh, the time the wolves would come at night and attack his sheep. And so often uh, he would find sheep that had been uh, murdered or carried away uh, in the morning. But Jesus reminds us, more importantly, in the Gospel of John in chapter 10, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought out all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers this figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. And even though we are sheep, and are so easily led astray that we have a shepherd who loves us, who cares for us, who knows each and every one of us by name. And as we grow in Christ, we hear his voice, we hear his words spoken through the truth of God's word. And we can trust him that he is more than able. But even though he is the good shepherd, he does not guarantee us that we will not face difficulties that we will not face assaults and attacks and in this passage he is going to even list out three areas that the disciples can almost most certainly expect to be attacked in notice he says beware of men so these are actual physical uh, realities that they're facing men he's not even speaking of the spiritual realm right now which we know exists and the enemy is certainly at work but beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. This is a religious attack. We know that religion has done more harm than anything else in the history of the world. There have been more wars started because of religion. There is a, a great movement against Christ. There always has been. There always will be. It started in the garden, and it continues until Christ returns and establishes his rightful reign. Religion is deadly. It is dangerous. We see throughout the course of history times when there has been great persecution upon the church, and it has come from those who will do it in the name of religion. As many of you uh, will go out this Tuesday uh, to celebrate Reformation Day. Amen? Amen? October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nails the 95 Thesis to the door of Wittenberg, which sparks the birth of the Protestant Reformation. It is why you and I are Protestants, because it was uh, against a religious establishment that were taking uh, means in which to harm and hurt people, to sell indulgences, which was a way of saying if you gave X amount of money, your sins can be forgiven. And that is completely anti the gospel. 
and Luther faced attacks. All the reformers faced attacks. As you go further into times like the English Reformation, as men like William Tyndale decided, and as God led him to write God's word in English, to have it for the common man, Tyndale would ultimately give his life as religious men burned him on the stake. As you go throughout history, we see countless attacks from those who are doing things in the name of religion. Jesus warns his disciples, they will take you and flog you in their synagogues. That is the religious establishment. Jesus himself was flogged. He was whipped. He was dragged out in front of people because of the religious leaders of the day accused him of blasphemy. They decried that he should be crucified. Religious attacks are all around us. Do not be swayed to think that it is just a, a, a political issue. These are matters of the heart in which we are dealing with. But not only will they be flogged in their synagogues, it says that you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. There will be attacks by the government. We should not be shocked or alarmed when we continually see, uh, even in our own country, uh, more and more restrictions that are placed on this. But in reality, we should, in fact, understand that this is what is to be that the church is a threat, and the church has always been a threat. Look back into the Roman Empire. They say that the ultimate collapse of the Roman Empire was because of the church. As the church grew, even in the midst of great persecution, as the church grew, even in the face of death, Nero would, would tie Christians in his backyard to stakes and light them on fire to light his gardens. And that was, at times, not even the worst. Christians were dragged into the arena where they were attacked and brutally murdered by lions, all simply because they were Christians, because they followed Christ. There has always been government attacks, and there will be until Christ returns. But yet God is at work even in the midst of these, as was witnessed in the Roman Empire, as because of the way that the Christians lived their lives, it ultimately overthrew, not in a war, not even with many words, but simply the way that they continually lived their lives. But as you go back even in the, the last century, we see cases of this in places like China, where many missionaries had gone in the 1800s and into the early 1900s to share the gospel in this vast country. And then in 1949, when Mao Zedong took leadership of uh, China and declared it the People's Republic of China, he instituted two systems that God would use to spread the gospel faster and further than at any time in the history of that country. He introduced a, a system in which everyone would have to be registered. If you were above a number of 20, you would have to register that with the government. So he, in essence, created the underground church movement. Now, he didn't know he did, and he still doesn't know he did. But yet God used that scenario to have these churches grow and grow and grow. 
And even though Mandarin had been spoken for, for many, many uh, years, it became the official language of the People's Republic of China, which created a common language for all people throughout the land. And these two combined, God used to explode Christianity in that country, where today there are more Christians in China than anywhere else in the world. Again, we must understand the, the larger picture when we consider things on a world stage. But not only will we face persecution from the religious crowds, we will face persecution from government, but we will even face persecution from within at times our own families. The Bible says in 21, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Now this sounds very alarming, but the reality is this does occur. It still occurs today. Uh, you'll hear it next week as uh, E3 kids will be with us and sharing about the work they're doing in Kenya, and particularly uh, Mombasa, Kenya, which is uh, about 95% Muslim community. So parents will, even Muslim parents, will actually send their kids to these Christian schools that uh, E3 works with, and, and we have been in these schools, and they have, they believe that their, their kids are fully indoctrinated so that there is no way that they're going to ever uh, come to Christ. They completely underestimate that there is a Holy Spirit at work who is going to draw people to himself. But as many times it has occurred, these kids will, will come to faith in Christ upon simply hearing the gospel. And then these kids are, will be cast away from their families. And there are a number of children. There's 30 to 40 kids that now are being cared for by the school around the clock because their parents have disowned them because of the name of Jesus I think it also fitting that as we sit in this sanctuary today and you see all these shoe boxes around you that uh, we will be filling uh, Friday night in a little less than two weeks and these shoe boxes will go throughout the world. But to understand in June 1947, Bob Pierce was working with Youth for Christ. He was actually one of their most well-known people. There was this little lesser known guy named Billy that was you know, scouring around behind everybody. Billy Graham, y'all tracking, right? Um, but Bob Pierce was uh, a tremendous uh, man of God. He had gone to China. He had been sent there to lead some evangelistic crusades. And after a number of days, he was requested by a group of Dutch Reformed missionaries. They were nuns, right? These are like, don't mess with these ladies, right? Just don't cross them. But he had been requested to them to come over to the island of Amoy. A-M-O-Y. It's a small island right off the coast of China. Uh, just a short 15-minute ferry ride across. As he went over to the island of Amoy, and he went into the schools there that these Dutch Reformed uh, missionaries were leading, uh, he would share the gospel. And as he would do so often, not understanding completely the culture and the context at the time, he would tell these kids that if they had prayed, if they had trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they were to go home and tell their parents. The only problem was many of these parents were uh, antagonistic and against the gospel. So in this one case, this uh, one little girl, her name was White Jade. That is her name. Uh, and... Uh, 
she came back to the school and uh, this lady, uh, Tina uh, Burkhalter, was one of the missionaries there, uh, called Bob Pierce to come back to the school uh, two days later. And he figured it was just going to be, hey, he's just going to show me what God's doing, how great this is. He comes and she's standing there holding uh, this, this little uh, elementary age girl, White Jade. And in her sternest face, as you can only imagine, a Dutch, Dutch Reformed nun could have, right? Like if looks could kill. Okay, that was her look. She said, what are you going to do to take care of this little girl? Because I can no longer afford to take care of any more mouths. We are feeding and educating and doing everything we can with everyone we have. So he had $5 in his pocket. She said, that's just the start. You will send me X amount of money every month. And that's how this little girl is going to be educated, how she's going to be fed and clothed, and as she will grow in Christ. So he started doing that, and that was the birth of World Vision. And if you know anything about World Vision, World Vision was the first organization that started where you adopt kids and go through that. Uh, after he got irritated, or they irritated him one way or the other, with World Vision, they forced him out. He founded Samaritan's Purse, which is where these shoeboxes are come from now. So I would encourage you. So a, a great reminder, though, just uh, the little bit of faithfulness goes a long way. But there are still these cases that happen all around us. We think that's crazy. What what family would disown a family member simply because they come to faith in Christ? But it happens, and, and Jesus says that this will occur. Not only did he warn the disciples here 2,000 years ago, he warns us again. But he wanted them to look out with an eternal perspective. Even though he does tell them persecution will come, he wants them to keep their eye on the prize. He says in verse 19, when they deliver you over, notice it says not if, it says when. When they deliver you over, he knows they're going to face great opposition. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. They weren't to be concerned about when that happened, what they would say, how would they defend themselves. He was very, very upfront that God will give you the words. The very Spirit of God will speak in and through you. Now, that doesn't mean that we can use this as a reason when we're preaching or teaching and you're preparing a lesson to just go, well, God's going to give me the words when I get up there. No, you need to do your, your, your time. You need to put in study and, and be prepared. And, and, and God's Spirit may lead you and, and, and lead you down uh, you know, some other areas. But this is for those that are on those front lines. When you are sharing the gospel and you are facing opposition and you are unsure what to even say. John Owen says this, that Satan's greatest success is in making people think they have plenty of time before they die to consider their eternal welfare. Well, he's reminding these disciples that they are to go, they are to face persecution, you are going out as sheep, but it's not your message. It is the message of the gospel. Paul reminds the church at Philippi that not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We have but one simple message. We must maintain an eternal perspective of what we are called to do. 
David Mathis says that missions is about the worship of Jesus. The goal of missions is the global worship of Jesus by his redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The outcome of missions is all peoples delighting to praise Jesus. And the motivation for missions is the enjoyment that his people have in him. Missions aims at, brings about, and is fueled by the worship of Jesus. Our love for Jesus will fuel our missions. But notice that not only are they going to face these persecutions, but he says they're going to face arrest. They're going to be accused. They're going to be attacked. But he wants them to stay faithful. When you and I, we still live by all means in the freest country in the world. Amen? Amen. If you disagree with that, go to Iran, go to China, go to Afghanistan, go to any country that has a guy named Stan in it, and you will find very quickly that we have more freedoms, even in the midst of the chaos at times in our own country, than anywhere else in the world. Do you think, though, that at times maybe our freedoms just become a crutch? that we lean on our freedoms rather than understanding that we have been blessed, we've been given these freedoms for the proclamation of the gospel. That's why this country uh, has, has had so many opportunities because for so long we, we have been a country that sent many missionaries. But yet today we receive more missionaries than we send out. More men and women from around the world will come to America to share the gospel here because the church here has ceased to be faithful with the task that we have been given. We are called to look to an eternal perspective, so we must be about our Father's business. And notice he continues, and he tells him to shout it from the rooftops, the housetops. He says in verse 26, so have no fear of them. Have no fear of the people. I'm sending you out as a sheep amongst wolves, but you know what? Don't worry about it. I got you. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. We are to proclaim the gospel. We are called to trust in Christ. Paul, in writing to his beloved son in the faith, says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know the old kid song, I'm in the Lord's Army? <laughs> We are a commissioned army who has been given an assignment. But we do not fight with conventional weapons. The only weapons, Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, are prayer and the Word of God. But those two weapons are of more value than the greatest arsenal in the history of the world. There is no amount of ammunition, there is no amount of weaponry that can stand against the Word of God and men and women of prayer. Great countries have fallen because of faithful men and women simply proclaiming the gospel. If we want to see America to become what she can be again, it will take place when men and women of faith step up 
But in order to do so, we will face persecution. We will face opposition. It may cost us more than we are willing to share or more than we are willing to lose. John Piper says that God is pursuing with omnipotent passion a worldwide purpose of gathering joyful worshipers for himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He has an inexhaustible enthusiasm for the supremacy of his name among the nations. Therefore, let us bring our affections into line with his, and for the sake of his name, let us renounce the quest for worldly comforts and join his global purpose. If we are to go, if we are to be sent, if we are going to face persecution, we must be willing to go the extra mile. Considering those that have served faithfully in their lifetime, consider men like Eric Lytle. Many of you have read or seen Chariots of Fire. Eric Lytle grew up in China as the son of missionaries. After he had competed in I'm probably off, but like 1924 Olympics or something in that range. He decided ultimately to return to China, to where he had grown up, and to the mission field in which his parents had labored so intently in. And he went back and he cared and loved on those people, but he shared the gospel. It was in the mid-1940s, about the time Japan had invaded China, that he was actually placed in an internment camp by the Japanese. And he faced a, a great deal of persecution there, a great deal of both mental and physical uh, persecution. And he ultimately would die in that camp. But he died serving the people that he loved. He died sharing the gospel. I would encourage you to have your kids read about great men and women of the faith that they would know who those are that have gone before. How about Lottie Moon, as we will celebrate here in just over a month, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that we take that helps support our almost 4,000 Southern Baptist missionaries. Even this week, we will have a team of missionaries from the International Learning Center, just 20 minutes from here in Rockville, will come here to this church Wednesday afternoon as they go out in our community to share Christ with our neighbors. If anyone is interested, you are welcome to join them. They will not only be here this Wednesday, but they will be back the following Tuesday and Wednesday evening as well. And it is great to, to see men and women and children, they have their kids with them that are going to foreign fields that are going to areas in the world that may or may not be open to the gospel. The, the very least we can do is support them. The very least we can do is, is encourage them to pray for them. So if you have uh, the ability, and we will probably be doing some follow-up uh, thereafter with those that they will come in contact with. But I love the fact that they're not just going overseas. They are committed to sharing the gospel right here. And we have such a blessing. And if you want to learn more, go with Miss Shirley and us as we head over to the ILC Thursday for a, a time that we'll get to see more about what our missionaries are doing and how we can encourage them. But we must be willing to at least go across the street. We must be willing to go around the cubicle. We must be willing to walk across the field. We must be willing to open our mouth and share the gospel. If what we share is offensive, then 
then it's the gospel, not you and I. Paul, I mean, excuse me, Charles Spurgeon wrote, Reckon then that to acquire soul-winning power, you will have to go through mental torment and soul distress. You must go into the fire if you're going to pull others out of it. And you will have to dive into the floods if you are going to draw others out of the water. You cannot work a fire escape without feeling the scorch of the conflagration, nor man a lifeboat without being covered with the waves. Spurgeon wrote a book called The Soul Winner. He was probably the, uh, not probably, he was arguably the greatest preacher of his day, even to today. But he was an evangelist at heart. He cared deeply for the souls all across London. It is said that in his day that when he proclaimed the gospel that people would come from miles and miles away. The Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle in downtown London, which you can still go and visit today and stand in Charles Spurgeon's pulpit, that as they would come, they would open the windows and they would be 5'10 deep outside of the church because he simply preached the gospel and that men and women needed to repent, to turn from their sins and to turn to Christ. It was no easy believism. It was no just do this and that. It was simply, do you have faith in Christ alone? And if you trust in Jesus Christ and, and Jesus saves you, he changes you. And because he changes us, then, then this last part we can easily do. He was reminded that we should not fear man, but fear God. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, being God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And he gives this great example, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father's knowledge. Are we not even more value? God even knows the very hairs of our head. For some of us, it's easier for him to know that than others. Sorry. But we are to fear not because we are of such value. God cares for us. He understands. He tells us in Isaiah 41 that we are to fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Sinclair Ferguson says that a proper fear of God is that indefinable mixture of reverence and pleasure, joy and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us. It is a love for God which is so great that we would be ashamed to do anything which would displease or grieve him and makes us happiest when we are doing what pleases him. The Apostle Paul reminded us of the price that he paid in Galatians 6. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Paul had been beaten. He had been flogged. He had been literally left for dead. He had been shipwrecked. He had suffered great, great loss. But he continued on to the finish line. He tells the church at Colossae that now I rejoice in my sufferings, for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. We will face persecution if you shared the gospel. 
if we go to not even the ends of the earth, which we need to be willing to, but even if we're willing to walk across the street, it may cost you. You may face a door being shut. You may face words being spoken. But in the end, it will be worth it to know we were faithful to our Father. John MacArthur says that fearing God has two aspects. The first is reverence. It is a sacred awe of God's utter holiness. It involves the kind of respect and veneration that results in fear in the presence of such absolute majesty. The second aspect is fear of God's displeasure. Genuine faith acknowledges God's right to chasten, his right to punish, and his right to judge. If we fear God, we will go. But instead, we fear man. And the Bible tells us to not fear what man can do. For man can only temporarily cause us harm. We are to be faithful. I want to show this quick little uh, video clip, and then we're going to close out. May 27th to June 4th, 1940, 338,000 men 
were rescued from the shores of Dunkirk, France. The Brits, the French, the Belgian, Polish armies had been pushed back, were facing the brink of utter destruction at the hands of the Germans. 338,000 men. There were only a handful of naval vessels that could actually get to the harbor at Dunkirk. Uh, the water would not allow with the way it was set up. But I want you to envision today that you are one of those 338,000 men. That as you stand on that shore, the enemy is all around you. There are German pilots firing down on you. There are German U-boats across the English Channel. The British Royal Navy, Royal Air Force, are doing all they can, but it's not enough. And a simple plea goes out to the everyday person in England. If you simply have a boat, will you willingly risk your life to save the life of these faithful men who had fought to try to liberate France and Belgium and other areas? 338,000 men. We talk about D-Day, but if those men don't get off that shore... Now, God is sovereign, and God was going to work in and through this anyway. But there are far more people than that that are waiting to hear the gospel. Brothers, sisters, moms, dads, neighbors, friends, people we work with, people all around us. Yes, it's hard. We are being sent out as, as sheep in the midst of wolves. But can you imagine, I just, I love that scene and I wanted it to engrave in your mind just for a moment when that uh, British admiral looks through his binoculars and he says, what do you see? He said, I see home. I see a vast number of everyday fishermen, ferry captains, leisure boats out on the water coming to rescue those men who had pretty well lost hope. True story. It really became what turned the tide. Winston Churchill had just been elected at the first part of May as prime minister in that same month. So Churchill had not even delivered any of his powerful speeches yet to, to galvanize a nation to fight against an enemy that was seeking to destroy. It says in the 1950s that the sun never set on the British Empire. That was how strong the British Empire was. And, and even throughout the 50s and 60s, Great Britain, a country not much difference in size than, than, than even Virginia, sent more missionaries than any other country in the world. They were committed to sharing the gospel. But somehow along the way, they lost sight of what was most important. And today you will find less than 2% of the population throughout Great Britain attend any house of worship on any given Sunday. Less than 2%. All you have to do is, is scan across the ocean and see that we are rapidly following behind them. But it all comes to just simple obedience, to simply following Christ. Air General is King Jesus. And King Jesus is on the battlefield. And he is saving people. And he has given us this privilege. We cannot save anyone. But he has given us this privilege, this incredible opportunity to simply join him. 
and to be with him as, as people come to faith and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we all have a part. Maybe you have a, a little John boat, and I don't even know how you'd get it across the English Channel. <laughs> but by golly, if there is a will, there is a way. And if it meant you were able to get across the English Channel and get three or four of those men in your boat and get them back across the shores of Dover, or maybe you can do more. Maybe God has blessed you that you have more connections and more resources, whatever the case may be. But may we simply be faithful because we are clearly called in Scripture to go and make disciples. And it will cost us. And it may cost you all. But in the end, it will all be worth it. Father, we come to you just thankful for all that you do in our lives. That, Father, you did not leave us, but you came to us when we could not go to you. Father, you sent your son Jesus who lived the perfect life, who died our death, who exchanged his life for ours, that if we would simply by faith trust in Jesus Christ alone, that God, your word declares that we can be saved. But, Father, when Christ enters our life in the very spirit is within us. It changes us. We can no longer live the way we lived. Father, if Christ is in us, then nothing can ultimately be against us. So may you break our hearts, as Bob Pierce used to pray, for the things that break yours. May you allow us to see the broken and the burdened and, and understand that there is going to be a cost. There's going to be a physical cost. There's going to be a financial cost. There's going to be a cost of our, our, our time. There's going to be a cost, but Father, that cost has an eternal gain. So may you guide us in all ways. Father, for those here this morning that have never, never trusted Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, that have placed their faith in Christ alone by grace alone, that Father, today would be that day. And I pray that, God, we will celebrate as each one is rescued off those shores and brought into your heavenly kingdom, the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.